for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. I'm really excited about today's episode. We have two members of the class of 1999 with us. That is Hall of Famer Dina Lopheimer, formerly Dina Jacoby. And if I can say this without getting my Myself in trouble, future Hall of Famer Harry Waring from the class of '99. <laughs> Welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jen. Before we get into the real heavy stuff, tell me, uh, Dina, we'll start with you. How you got to Syracuse and how you found the radio station? I got to Syracuse kind of a bit by accident. I knew that I wanted to work in media. I thought journalism. I remember going to a college career fair. I want to say at Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. <laughs> And there was a Syracuse display. And I stopped. My dad went to St. John's University. And I knew Syracuse. And I didn't particularly like Syracuse because (laughs) I was raised a St. John's fan. But then once I discovered, oh, my gosh, they have a communications program. And, wow, I could actually watch games in the Carrier Dome. All of a sudden, uh, the school had a lot more allure. And on a cold, rainy day in October when I went up on a campus tour. I knew from that very moment that's where I wanted to go to school. And my acceptance letter came, early decision, on Christmas Eve. was the best Christmas gift I got my senior year of high school. Very cool. I found the radio station by another bizarre twist. (laughs) I was very good friends uh, with Veronica Reeves. Through a bizarre twist of events, my mom, being the networker that she is, won a radio station contest at a radio station on Long Island on WALK in the spring of our freshman year, she happened to mention to them at the radio station, my daughter's going to school for communications. And they said, oh, we're looking for interns. So through this random conversation, I ended up interning at WALK and fell in love with the idea of working in radio. And because of my connection with Veronica, she introduced me to this guy, Harry, that worked at the radio station. And I met Harry and his friend Pete at Media Play. For a Pearl Jam Midnight Madness. Was it Pearl Jam? See, I can never remember yes. because they, they do blend together because we did a Hootie and the Blowfish one. We did Dave <laughs> Matthews. So it was opening weekend, sophomore year. Harry and I met at Media Play in Shopping Town Mall for a Pearl Jam Midnight Madness. Uh, he was the promotions director and he needed an assistant. And because I had so much experience interning at a radio station on Long Island the summer before, I was instantly appointed his assistant. And thus began my career at JPZ. And Harry, over to you. How did you get to the station and to the Syracuse? All my life, I wanted to be a sportscaster. I remember reading a Marv Albert book that had like a page in it that everyone, there was like a hundred people that felt like that went to Syracuse. I was like, oh, I guess that's where I should go. So it kind of just happened. Um, I didn't realize that the school was really hard to get into or that it was this great <laughs> program. I just knew that I, that's where I wanted to go. And I got accepted um, through some miracle. We were able to afford it with uh, different things. I mean, it was, I imagine what tuition is now. <laughs> Double what it was then, yeah. At least more than that. I had run my my high school radio station. I did uh, announcing for basketball and football. And I remember working there, running it the summer before I went to Syracuse. And they said, hey, reach out to who's at 
the stations in Syracuse and I found WJPZ. Dan Austin actually was the first person. Yeah. I sent him my resume. I said, hey, I really want to work at your station. Um, I had no idea like what it was at the time. <laughs> but Dan sent me a Z89 bumper sticker with a Coca-Cola logo on the back, which made me go, wow, this is like a real radio station. He said, stop by the first time you get to Syracuse. Um, so that's what I did. I remember walking up to Mount Olympus and thinking it was up there. <laughs> but I walked in the door and I kind of never left after that. Over time, I met a guy named Pete Dibler, who on my freshman year, we became really good friends and he wanted to work there too. Uh -huh. You could tell something was special about the place. Um, as soon as you walked in the door, the old station had bumper stickers from all over the, the world. All over the place. But there was an energy to it, um, and I knew I wanted to be there. I got involved in the sports staff. Um, I got involved on air. It was a really fun time. Looking back, gosh, it seems like yesterday I walked in there. And then I, I became promotions director at the end of my freshman year, just to kind of tie it around to when I met Dina. It was the coolest thing because this is a radio station that did things. They made the final four my freshman year. We did like a broadcast at uh, whatever they called the, the Sheridan the restaurant bar, but it felt real. We were like, we put up banners and we, we did call-ins or at least someone did. I think they did. And uh, it was, I, it was uh -huh. fun being the promotions director. And then um, we came back after the summer and it was, uh, it was back on and we had this broadcast at media play. There's a slight chance that we broke the tent that night. Pass the statute limitations. <laughs> What Z89 taught me above all is that you can order parts for a tent. You don't have to order an entire tent. <laughs> it was opening weekend. And I mean, the funniest thing is we found out through the course of conversation that we both grew up on Long Island. We went to rival high schools and we lived about 10 minutes away from each other on back roads. And it took this chance meeting at Shopping Town Mall to discover that we've literally lived around the corner from each other. Possibly aren't. still do. <laughs> it was a great experience to start there. Mm -hmm. There was just always something special. You knew the history of the radio station. Um, they do a great job of the alumni coming back each year and who are these people. And you, you learn that you're, you're part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And I think that's really important, especially as a 17, 18 year old kid to buy in and to believe in something. And it gave me a home. It was a fraternity, so to speak, that I could literally work at and make the best friends I, I would have over time there. And, and really, it was an honor to be able to work as a real radio station. That's very rare. Um, it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. I still, to this day, work in a similar situation. Um, and it's kind of in a smaller type of market radio. And I kind of set up um, what I love personally um, over the years of working with a team of people I made my, my lifelong friends there at the school at Z89, not necessarily Syracuse. So you were there for two format flips, right? Because you got there before Z89 flipped to the Pulse? My freshman year, I was a part of a controversial format flip. Um, I didn't know much at the time. I was a kid and I wanted to be a part of something. Um, and Dan Austin and Jeff Wade were switching the format to alternative modern rock. 89 won the Pulse, which was a hot format at the time. Yep. We have an episode of the podcast with the two of them talking about that switch as well. So, yeah. It was an amazing time. It was controversial. There was a lot of articles and this and that. I didn't know anything about any of that. I just wanted to do radio. And I saw, Darius, I saw an opportunity. Whenever when things change, I didn't necessarily know that the entire staff quit or left or this, did this and that. It didn't matter to me. It was, wow, we have a chance to work in a production studio until three in the morning creating a <laughs> promo for a morning show. Yeah. I, one of the best nights... Um, uh, we didn't have digital equipment or computers. 
it was real to real. Yep. I spent that that format flip. Um, Dan and Jeff, they needed people uh, and students to help them. And, and Pete and myself, we were the guts of the operation. We were the board ops. We were in the production studio till literally um, four in the morning creating stuff. We'd sit there and I learned production that way. I learned all these different things. I don't know if the promo was any good, but we learned a lot. We had fun. If any students are listening to this right now, enjoy the freshman year. Enjoy those years where you're just doing it and creating and having fun and making friends. And it's not life or death. Um, we might have thought it was life or death, actually, yeah. with the promo, because we needed that promo to be good. We needed Dan and Jeff to like us. Um, but, <laughs> or at least put it on the air and give us shifts. Um, and I remember the format flip. It was fantastic. Honestly, it's probably the, one of the top five experiences I've had working in radio. I remember I was one of the first board ops because I was staying late before Christmas um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do it. There was no pressure. We were just doing radio, being given opportunities and meeting, uh, you know, the Scott McFarlane's of the world. who was a year older than me. Mm-hmm. Jeff Toriel. I have to mention the, the, the people that were really instrumental and Brett Eskin and DJ passed the mic. Um, all of these people that I worked with as a freshman that were great to me. Andy Hecht. Oh, Andy Hecht. And here's the thing. We walked into a situation, and I think this is important. I walked into a situation that was really complicated that I necessarily didn't realize um, mm-hmm. with a line. This goes to receivership in a little bit. We were a part of a situation that there was a lot of controversy, angry people. But what I saw was a lot of professionalism, at least in front of me. For me, <laughs> they taught me. Yeah, They might have hated the pulse uh, and were against what it stood for and, and all of that. And I thought it was good to get a mix of those people. And then the pulse happened. We did that. I was terrible on the air. Thank you, though, for clearing me. <laughs> the only time I went home was after my freshman year. Um, and I remember coming back, meeting Dina, being the promotions director. And I think I became the program director in November. In very short order, I can take you back to this. Just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, I remember very vividly walking into the station. And Harry, it was just as you said, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, PM drive. We had sports going. There was news going. Um, the station was a buzz. The feeling in that place was electric. And I knew from the minute I walked in that door that I wanted to be a part of whatever was going on there. So, Dina, take me through how you got involved and begun into the management levels of the station, exec staff, and take me through your journey a little bit. You know, there was still quite a bit of controversy over the pulse change after Jeff and Dan uh, flipped the format in what was our freshman year. Um, Dan. Dan went to uh, to work at uh, Clear Channel. Yeah, that's right. One of the great things, but also one of the, I say burdens, it's a good burden. Pressure is a privilege, but it's a lot. Um, you have the alumni, um, you have a successful radio station, you have a college, you have all of these personalities. Think about this business in general. Yeah. And all these people love this radio station. When you're 18 years old, you don't want to screw it up. And it was a difficult time. And I do think too, that the station straddles this line of, okay, well, what should it be? Uh, should it be a top 40 radio station? Should it be a rock station? Should it be a this? Should it make sense? It might not necessarily make sense for the radio station formatically to be a CHR in the middle of a, of a, a market that has two huge CHRs. Mm-hmm. But if you step away from it, from that, it made sense from a teaching standpoint. There was a lot of different personalities and it's a lot. And there was a lot of change. Yeah. I will say looking back, 
it's like the most, I could care less about classes. The only thing I cared about at Syracuse was WJPZ and the people that were on the team. And it was so much change in this and that, that looking back, it's such an amazing learning experience. It really was. Dino, you come in, you're Harry's assistant promotions director. What titles did you take as you kind of climbed the ladder? Yeah, so I walked in as the assistant promotions director because of the management shakeup that occurred then over the pulse change and the unsettledness that was going on at the station at the time. The general manager left, the program director left, and the VP of business left. There was a kind of a scramble among the staff to fill some of these key positions. Jamie Bell ascended to the general manager's role. She was VP Ops. She was technically the second female GM in the station's history and assumed the position at a very difficult time that year in particular. Harry took over as PD and I walked into the promotions director after after I'd been in the station for two and a half months. (laughs) So, you know, here's a job. You do it. (laughs) We were there. I had promotions meetings and we gave away CDs and, you know, we still went about our business. We had our meetings. We persevered through whatever went on. And there was a lot that, quite honestly, I've forgotten so much about. I'm so glad we're doing this together. Your first year, my second year was this weird trying to figure out, you know, we took over a station that that Jeff and Dan had set up um, for a reason. Mm -hmm. And with Modern Rock 89 won the Pulse. And to be honest with you, we were always fighting uh, the history of Z89 with it. The request line was still four four, you know, was H I T S. So it was, yeah. you know what I mean. You'd, you'd have people, you know, Z89, you know, pulse stinks, this and that, and you call, and you're like, all right, whatever. And, and, but that's part of the life lesson too. All of this, looking back, was an amazing experience, good and bad. Yeah, we got through it, and then we started to really learn the a lot more about the history of what the radio station was. At the very least, as mm-hmm. the modern rock station at the time. It wasn't performing necessarily what it should be, um, the role for the students, whether it be for the contemporary hit radio aspect in the, the bylaws or and in general, just as a radio station. Mm-hmm. So it was a conversation that then led to bringing Z89 back. And that happened during the summer before my junior year. I believe it was July 1st. July 1st, 1997. So July 1st, 1997, uh, Harry, you're the PD and Dina, you are the GM or incoming GM at that point. Do I have that right? No, I was not. I was the elected PR director. Thinking about this, this is going to seem on a good day, gutsy. On a bad day, wow, I can't believe I did that. Um, (laughs) we, We knew that Learning the history and speaking with the alumni, um, it was clear that there was needed to be a change to bring back the Z89 brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, I'm not saying this was necessarily the best way to do it, but there was a rumor actually that someone was going to take the Z brand in the market. Whether that be true or not, I, I don't remember. Oh. But time was of the essence. And in the summer, in the midst of upheaval, the midst of uh, me thinking that I was a real program director and we needed to do this for the right reasons and this and that, we decided we were going to change the radio station. I had the support of the faculty advisor at the time, uh, Rick Wright. Dina was on Long Island mm-hmm. helping me with imaging, I believe, writing stuff and getting th- some things going. We had a, we had an Independence Day promotion that we did. Yeah. yeah. I wrote some press releases. My cousin, who is also a Syracuse alum, redesigned the Z89 logo. Mm-hmm. The original rebrand of the Z89 logo was created by Lisa Mirabile, who's an, a class of 93 alum from VPA. Did that for us pro bono. Thanks, Lisa. 
Nice. I remember countless meetings with you at Kimmel before we got out of school when the, the plan was to flip the format, hashing out over Burger King, how this was going to work and, and what it was going to be. And it was so exciting to be part of something like that. That's right. You hadn't seen The Pulse. No, I wasn't there for that flip. And to be in on the ground level as the plans are being laid and kind of being able to influence some of what that was going to be was so exciting. I remember that very vividly. And it's, it's really kind of cool to think about now. I mean, it gives me a lot of pause all these years later to think back at what we did and what I do remember most specifically, I remember A, being very upset that I couldn't afford to stay on campus that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to come home because I couldn't afford an apartment and stay up in Syracuse for the summer. But I remember on a very old 1997 cell phone hmm. calling the studio at five o'clock on July 1st. And Jamie Scavato ran the first top of the hour into the jock jam. And I heard it on my cell phone on my way home from work. That's great. I was crying on Sunrise Highway when that happened. (laughs) Those powerful moments. And by the way, uh, shout out to the Kimmel Dining Hall slash Food Court slash whatever it was when you were a student there, because if those walls could talk, they'd have their own podcast about what was discussed (laughs) there among the 50 year history of this radio station. Just for sure. That was that was huge. It was could have gone either way. I remember talking to different alumni. That's how I met Scott Meach. Mm -hmm. How Rude was instrumental in teaching me everything that I knew about clocks and programming. The best thing, and I think this is why in my career I've done this numerous times since Z89 and the Pulse, um, seeing the format flip set me up for being able to do it numerous times, whether I did it at a couple stations on Long Island out east that I, I work at and other over time. I think nothing of wiping out a selector database and starting fresh. <laughs> and it was hard. I walked in there and Dina was on Long Island. It was like walking into, I don't say enemy territory at the time, but it was scary because I literally flipped the format through Dina's help and through a summer staff. That's how I met Rick Roberts, who's at 93Q still. Uh, he was a summer mm. staff a person that came in. And now he's been at 93Q for 25 years. It's unbelievable. No, I remember when Rick was, uh, was, was a little kid. Z89 had such a, and still does, has such a rich history with not just the Eshoo Hill, but those towns, the the Fayetteville area and the, all that, you know, yeah. love the radio station. They grew up with it. It means something mm-hmm. to those kids. And it really does. And we had summer staff that wanted to work at Z89 because they grew up listening to it. Um, and it was this yeah. big deal. So we were able to think of this uh, for a second. And this is one of the things that I learned is filling a schedule. I learned how to, by hook or by crook, get people to fill that schedule. Um, and by the way, we didn't pay them. It was an all volunteer job. Right. When we flipped the format, think of it this way. We had lost another staff, so we had to start recruiting again. Yeah. So you said there was two recruitments with the new Z89, right? Yeah. So fall 97, we get back to school. There was, again, a management switch up because of a format change. Yeah. Quite frankly, Although I had barely been the station for a year, I was kind of the only one in any position to assume the responsibility and was elected GM. So just so I have my facts here, right, Dina? So Jamie had been the GM, Jamie Bell. Mm -hmm. Another GM had come in and that the format flip said, no, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm leaving. The format flip wasn't for him. Yeah. He stepped down. Then pretty much as soon as we came back to school, we had an incident of fraud. 
keep in mind, this was a summer where we had no general manager or anything. We had a summer staff that we were keeping on the air. And there's a byproduct of having a summer staff. We learned a lot. We had people that uh, really wanted to, quote, help. Um, so we had some interesting characters pass through there. I don't want to get too into the weeds there. But we dealt with a lot of different things that 18, 19-year-olds necessarily don't have to deal with. Yeah. So as a result, there was um, an incidence of fraud with checks that were ill-gotten from the station. Understood. Um, someone that had worked on the staff over the summer had taken checks from the station and then was forging checks mm. largely to his or herself, but then also randomly and out in the community, which was how we discovered that this had even occurred because someone randomly called the station one afternoon and said, I just received a check from Z89 for a thousand dollars. Do you know why? Oh boy. Pretty sure we didn't have that money to be honest with you. We didn't even have a thousand dollars in the checking account. So <laughs> it was... A bit of a shock to receive that phone call because I did actually take the call from the woman when she called. And that's what then led us down this rabbit hole that there was um, fraud perpetuated against the station. That added a whole nother layer to um, the initial confusion and chaos that brought me into the role as GM. So there's fraud, there's a format flip, and then there's a number of other extenuating factors, Dina, that ultimately led the station into this receivership. I want to say in... October, November of that year, there was um, a judicial affairs complaint filed against the radio station by a group of weekend show staff. Um, the weekend show staff ran a lot of urban programming that didn't totally jive with the pulse. And for whatever reason, and I think it's probably a byproduct to a certain extent of the pulse and not that I'm blaming the pulse for that, but the, the formats brought in certain staff members to the station and it wasn't that it tried to be exclusionary. And I don't mean that in any way, shape or form, but the format attracted the audience that listens to it, which was contrary to the staff that ran the, the urban programming on the weekend. Let me put a bow on this. Let me make sure I, I, I get this correct. So because the station flipped from a more um, inclusive format in CHR to, let's be honest, a more white guy format in alternative, it was a music flip. But for some individuals, they would see that as exclusionary yes. of certain groups going from pop to alternative. Do I have that right? Yeah. And, you know, and I think, too, quite honestly, I not having worked at Z89 before the Pulse, I think the CHR format made for a more inclusive staff. And unfortunately, because of the audience that the Pulse attracted and the, the staff that the Pulse attracted, it created division inadvertently. Understood. No one ever intended to be exclusionary of anybody. We just kind of operated in separate spheres. I was not at the station on Saturday night or Friday night at midnight. I just wasn't. It wasn't for any other reason than that. Harry? I think a lot of this comes down to the mission of the radio station. And this is why it is important that it is an inclusive CHR format is that part of the curse of it is of the station. And I say that with love is that you have to be professional. You need to compete. You need to do these things. And sometimes that could be at odds with what the radio station was designed to be. And I know that sounds weird to say that because you want to compete in the ratings. You want those things are important in a business. At the end of the day, though, and I might get in trouble for saying this, it's just a college radio station. Hmm. 
it's there to teach more importantly um, than get a giant, mm -hmm. huge share. That'd be great. And those years were awesome. Yeah. Um, and they did it in a very inclusive manner. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it really wouldn't have mattered if we had the biggest ratings ever and no staff. Yeah. That wasn't the point of the radio station when it was created. It was designed to teach, to educate, and to bring together. And I think inadvertently, because we wanted to, let's create a, a format that makes sense right, for right now in radio, in the Radio Times. Let's create this product that's going to compete and do this. And through what Jeff and Dan were doing, they did the right things in a vacuum or in a real business setting. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that it was the right thing at the time. But what they didn't compete with was 17, 18, 19 year olds who A, are trying to figure out who they are as people. You're finding yourself. You think about this respect. People are finding out their beliefs, um, what they want to fight for in college. And yeah. you're going to put all those people in, in a, a small place in Watson Theater, a lot smaller than it is now. It's going to combust. And it did. I remember bringing yeah. back Z89 thinking, naively at the time, well, this will make everyone happy and we'll all sing Kumbaya and all the <laughs> ills will be forgotten. And that was not the case. And I learned a, a really valuable lesson by just sitting and listening and listening to people like Dekeel, um, who was, did this, the Saturday night um, show at the time. That was probably my first chance being 18, 19 years old, coming from where I come from on Long Island, working with different cultures and different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just wanted to get it right at the time. That's it. I was like, this will make everyone happy. And it didn't because there was so much more underneath. And that led to with the, with the receivership, with, um, with the hiring practices, but elections and how the station was running at the time. It was kind of a byproduct of everything just kind of smushed together and blew up. Yeah. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence... This is WJPZ at 50. So, Dina, when you made your Hall of Fame induction speech at the banquet a few years ago, there were jaws on the ground in the room. Whether it was the folks who graduated before you or the folks who graduated in the 2000s, the 2010s, after you, there are so many folks who don't know what you and Harry had to deal with in this era of receivership. So you're a junior, you're the GM of the radio station, mm -hmm. just at top level, some of the stuff that you had to deal with to fight for the survival of the radio station. Yeah. We were placed in receivership because of this complaint filed with judicial affairs. You know, there were concerns that over electioneering, which I will still defend, were not valid concerns. One of the members of the weekend staff ran for a vice president, a business position, had never worked on the business staff, was not even known to the people that were voting in the election and was therefore not elected to the position. And as a result, it was viewed by that person to be racist, mm -hmm. which couldn't have been further from the truth, but it was what was believed by the person at the time. So this was rolled into this um, this receivership complaint. Everything else Harry's already talked about, yeah. So we had to meet with Judicial Affairs. We were placed under receivership. 
uh, which meant that we needed to rewrite our bylaws. They needed to reevaluate our student status. They temporarily like revoked our student status on campus. And until we met the university standards for an acceptable student group, they would then allow us back as a student group on campus. So when you say not as a student group, I mean, you've just got to keep the station going with a skeleton crew or, or what does that mean? Yeah, the, the skeletal crew got even more skeletal, as I recall, <laughs> because as all of this kind of went down, we also lost some of the other staff that were still there kind of helping, you know, plug holes and keep the fires burning. It was very tough. I was a terrible jock. And I think by virtue of the fact that we were friends was the only reason I had midday clearance. I should have never been cleared overnight. <laughs> um, but we managed to keep the station going. You know, we, we had this fraud situation that I was dealing with with the Syracuse police. Um, in the midst of all of this, too, we were up for license renewal, which has always been historically a difficult time for the radio station. Oh, gee, at the FCC, yeah. You know, some of the best practices for the public file and, you know, general station operations kind of got lost from one, one generation to the next as people took over into new positions. And unfortunately, that kind of happened. And we kind of uncovered that mm -hmm. in the midst of the license renewal. Of course, um, another name that has made its way to the podcast, Mr. John Oldfield, Oof. also reared his charming head. I think everything reared its head at once. Yes. We're trying to run a radio station at the time, too. It was very, you had to compartmentalize everything you did because we were, you know, getting made fun of in the Daily Orange and, and it taught me skills. There was so much pressure. We didn't want to screw the station up. We didn't want to kill it. Yeah. Yes, it was important to run the radio station and we did that. But what was more important was that it would exist in the future to be able to teach students. And that's when my personally, my perspective changed. I remember going to the first receivership meeting. And I don't know why I'm mentioning this, but I remember just being so full of emotion, like I had failed um, the alumni at the time. I remember crying in the meeting. I, and, and, and for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm not gonna, no one's going to see me cry. Um, and it was like, the, I remember just, it was like, oh my gosh, I have completely failed wow. the history and these alums mm. um, that this station means so much to. It was kind of the lowest point, but at the same time, with the perspective I have 20 or something years later, it was probably what was needed um, because it was a chance to rebuild again. And Dustin Everett, I mentioned Dustin, who was instrumental in helping with the public file and cleaning it up and organizing it and, and getting and filing for license renewal with Scott Johnson, our lawyer at the time, who spoke really, really slow. And was paid by the second... And he had the slowest conversations ever with you. <laughs> but it, um, from there, we were able to kind of turn a corner and say, okay. And that's where recruitment came in. You're not leading anyone if no one's following you. There was no one at the radio station anymore. But all these problems, mm -hmm. we needed to build another staff. Uh, and Marty came around. You had two big recruitments, Harry. You had one in the fall of 97 and one in the fall of 98. Take me through the first one. First one was, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I had to be at every freshman event uh, there was. The goal was just to get people in the door and get excited about this radio station again. Keep in mind, there were all these things going on around us. So you didn't want to like people like, what's receivership? What's happening here? <laughs> it's like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, we joke that there could be fires all around me. And I'd be like, no, we're doing great. We're learning. We're growing as a station. We're doing this and that. <laughs> but I learned how to those skills at Z89 by being in a crisis situation. The first recruitment, um, I remember Marty came along. Um, we were hanging on by our, our the skin of our teeth. We were just trying to get people in there. Yeah. I mean, there was a time where we had no money in the bank account. There were threat. There's no heat yeah. in the station. The lights broke in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, I've killed this radio station. Uh, what do we do? And that motivated even more to go to have more freshman functions and more and get people in the door and rebuild the staff and rebuild and recommit to the goal of what this was, was doing. And that's I kind of joked that my junior year, I tested things out. I figured out how to do it. And then I really, I think I hit a home run my senior year with the recruitment class, which you were a part of, and Matt Del Signor, and Jaina, and Beth, and Dave Easton. And I still remember him. He was a public service director. He transferred. Greg Dixon. Yeah, all these guys. Yeah. And that's where it all came from. It kind of changed my perspective on the whole thing. Um, it became about leaving a legacy and, and, and making sure that this radio station uh, existed for the future and was doing stuff. And receivership for me was the impetus to really change and also change who I, I think I was as a person and what I cared about, too. I want to pick it up from there, because uh, what you said about both of you walking into the radio station. So this is now the school year of 98, 99. This is uh, you. You're both seniors. I'm a freshman. And there were folks who joined the station right away through your great recruitment efforts. The folks you mentioned, Jaina, Beth, Matt, etc. I didn't come in until I think October, November. Andy DeCastro, who told oh, me to come Andy. in, it was Brian Person. Brian. Brian. Whose little sister was one of my best friends from high school. Oh, right, wow. Great guy. I come in. I was the homesick kid, five hours from home. I didn't really know anybody. I hadn't found my tribe. But I walked in. You're both mentioned being from Long Island. As most people know, I'm from Boston. I'm a diehard Red Sox and Patriots fan. And Harry, in the middle of everything he's describing as being the general manager, no matter what he was doing, when I would walk into the station, he would put it aside say hello to my name, make a snide comment about Mets, Red Sox, or Patriots, Jets, or whatever it was. And I was like, wow, this guy's like the senior. He's a GM. He's in, in the PD, by the way. Little did I know what was to come in Boston sports. My goodness. No, oh, those were your good old <laughs> days before we turned the corner. But anyway, you made the effort and made us all feel welcome. And it's interesting hearing it from your perspective and how your perspective changed over the four years and how you really took it upon yourself to build for the future of the radio station because... As you both alluded to, there weren't a lot of people there. Like Marty was the class ahead of me in 2001. There weren't a lot of 2001s. Mm. I feel like when you brought us in, you kind of said, we have got to empower this group of freshmen to be the next generation of leaders or this thing ain't going to survive. You know what? And uh, that year I was broadcast consultant. And the year before for me was so emotionally draining. And I and I know I said this during my um acceptance speech, I wrote my resignation letter probably three times that year I was GM. Yeah. I never submitted it. I cried every time I wrote it. The stress and the pressure and the things that we had to deal with as 19-year-olds, you know, school aside, I mean, classes were like (laughs) not even existent. Classes were those, yeah. In fact, Rick gave me a B in radio station operations while I was dealing with receivership. (laughs) And I still have a bone to pick with him about that. <laughs> I called him up for giving me a B in TV and radio performance. That's Same thing. I don't care. I want that changed. We were doing things that we probably like, weren't, we weren't equipped to deal with that amount of pressure. Oh, absolutely. I was not equipped to deal with the stress and the decisions 
and the pressure. You know, I, I remember the year I was GM getting phone calls from the Alumni Association. I would come back to my dorm room mm. and I would see the answering machine light because, again, this is how old we are. The answering machine light would be flickering and it would be a phone call from Kelly Foster or it would be a phone call from Beth Gorab wanting to know what was going on. If, and they were leading the Alumni Association at the time wanting to know what was going on with the station and how things were going with receivership. And I dreaded those phone calls because it was embarrassing to have to talk about what was going on. And I agree. It was a, such a feeling of letting people down th that the, the stress and the pressure of that year for me was prepared me for a great for a greater stress in my in my life. But that stress level on a 19 year old was astronomical. There's still a part of me that feels that I let the alone down. I had a very hard time my senior year being at that same level at the station because I was just so emotionally spent from my junior year. But to Harry's point, when you come in as an 18 year old, as I can tell you from our class, we didn't know. We didn't know what you'd been through yeah. the year before. You, you, we didn't know that you were burnt out. You were the broadcast consultant. Yeah. Terry was the GM and the PD. You were the broadcast consultant and you guys were in charge and we kind of took our cues from you. Why does Harry have nine <laughs> jobs? No. Well, Matt Del Signor in his episode when he followed you as GM and PD was like, oh yeah, you're GM and PD at the same time. That, that's my normal. That's what I knew. Yeah. Anyone, anyone could do that. It's horrible. I just, I wished I had done more and I always said that. You know, in retrospect, I think Harry, you knew that if you had a question, or if you needed something, you could have always called me and I would have come running. Yeah, oh, yeah. But I just, I couldn't physically be there. And I remembered having that conversation with you. And I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. All these yeah. years later, I'm sorry that oh. I wasn't there physically. Um, I knew, I know that you knew I was there in my heart. I just couldn't be there in body. I wish I was more present. I really do. Of course. Some people would be like, wow, are you like a masochist or something? Like you went through all of this <laughs> and, and I've been through this numerous times with different jobs and things like that. Um, I think my mother, who my entire life was really sick, she taught me how to fight through things and what really mattered. Mm. And no matter the situation, you were just going to keep going. And you know, my mom went blind when I was born. I saw her fight through being a mother and, and, and raising me. And to me, I was never going to quit anything. I still, to this day, will never quit anything because of her. That's who she made me. And I know it was tough and I don't have any, um, Dina, I, I respect you for staying as long as you did during that time. But for me, I was not going to accept this radio station to die. I needed to I, be moving on and at the very least uh, starting to heal again. And that's where your class came in. And we did radio at a very grassroots level that year. Mm -hmm. We sat every Monday for probably a couple hours and did music meetings yeah. and honestly became friends and learned to build a team of people. Harry was pretending he was a program director and <laughs> this is what we do and blah, 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 blah. You weren't pretending. But at the same time, it was a great experience. That's how the staff got rebuilt. Um, and I started to care about people. To me, the legacy... When I first stepped on campus was, wow, I want to I be the program director of the best college radio station in the country and have high ratings and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of it, all I really cared about was making sure that there were people there and they taught me to care about people, to be able to drop what I was doing. And it's good that I have attention span issues, is <laughs> that I can talk to John about the Patriots. I think we stole Parcells from you right around that time, too. Yeah, that sounds all right. It's not just a college radio station. I did say that, and I want to clarify this. 
it is so much more than a college radio station because you're, you're working with these people. You're learning how to deal with people. You have all these college kids who know everything, including myself, and we're all trying to, to figure it out. I look back at that senior year. I loved training you guys. It was hard. Um, we demanded a lot of you guys and girls to be able to put the time in. You can't teach that. It's a free radio station. Yeah. You're not getting paid, but those Mondays mean more to me now. One of the most rewarding things for me is to see that team of people that grew that senior year, that took over and then passed the torch to other people. Uh, that's what it was about. And I say thank you to Matt, who had the guts as a scared freshman to take over the radio station his sophomore year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Matt, to me, was a brilliant music mind and a really good, reliable, solid person. Yeah. And I knew I could trust him and I knew that he would do everything in his power to keep the mission and the legacy going. I have such a good Matt story and I can't think of the name of the song. It was very racy and it was like questionable. I remember vividly that I'd not heard the song before and I was doing my illustrious midday shift. Matt was programming the radio station and he was in the back room, but I was horrified listening to the lyrics of this song as I was playing it and I couldn't believe we were actually playing it. And I slammed open the door to the studio. I walked out into the hallway. I looked down the hallway at Matt. I screamed down the hallway to Matt. I go, what the fuck am I playing? And he goes, it's a hit, Dina. It's a hit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Matt became program director, because he had the wherewithal to be like, hey, and the confidence to say that. And that's invaluable to have people like that that are willing to work hard and, and to do things. So thank you to, to Matt. Thank you to Beth Berlin. To you, of course, John. Thank you to everyone. And Steve Lawson was there. We had such a crew of interesting characters and yes. people. Mm-hmm. Jaina uh, Fiorello. Everyone worked so hard and they believed in the radio station. You don't realize how rewarding, after going through the awfulness of two and a half, three years, to have people that cared enough and were excited by it and speak of it to this day as one of uh, the best things that they had in their in their college career is incredibly rewarding and it makes it all worth it. It exists. It's there. It's educating students. It's a media classroom. And I'm proud just to be a small part of it. We got through a lot. Mm -hmm. The good parts and the bad parts teach you a lot. And so I learned a lot of things at WJPZ. Briefly, uh, Dean, let me start with you. Career arcs in Syracuse. I left Syracuse. I worked for Cox stations here on Long Island as a promotions assistant, as an intern coordinator, as a sales assistant. I then left there and actually got the awesome opportunity to work with Harry at the stations that he's currently at as the marketing director. I said that those years, it was literally like working at Z89, but getting a paycheck. Nice. There were so many similarities to our Z89 experience working at those stations at that time under different management and everything else um, in a different facility that you are in now. I mean, much so much of it has changed for you. But all those years ago, it literally felt like we got the band back together again. I worked there for about six months. Um, I then, though, had this massive calling to no longer give away CDs and concert tickets and write marketing plans um, and thought I would save the world as a teacher. And uh, I left radio to become a teacher. It's been kind of a circuitous route in education, but in a way to tie this all back into a, a fancy little bow, I now work in 
Harry's former school district as an ESL teacher. So uh, I no longer work in radio. But you still teach. I still teach. The radio station has always been near and dear to my heart. Harry's radio station is still on the air. Um, and I had always wanted to work at the high school <laughs> only for the opportunity to continue to work in radio and to pull out whatever radio cards I had to help out the high school kids at the radio station. But it hasn't worked itself out. And I don't want to forget mentioning the years that you chaired the banquet committee and you helped put together that big party every year and the blood, sweat and tears that went into that because you hadn't had enough that year dealing with receivership. You came back and ran the banquet for several years after. We appreciate your efforts there as well. Uh, thank you. Harry, take me through your career arcs in Syracuse. Um, I knew I wanted to be in a radio station. I worked actually in the city at 1010 Winds. Mm. I was happy to get a job, but the uh, the program director, Mark Mason at the time, is the guy who put Mike and the Mad Dog together. Yeah. And it was just a cool experience to be able to go to lunch with Mark and Scott Herman and these great, amazing New York City radio people at the time. So I was there for uh, two years, I think. I was doing traffic, commercial traffic, scheduling. I learned operations of a, of a huge radio station. So I was there for a couple of years. I came out east uh, in 2001, right after September 11th. I never heard of the radio stations that were out in the Hamptons before. There's a small group of stations. Um, there are three of them. And I was on the top 40 at the time. I worked there for a few years um, and off and on. So I was out there kind of doing what I was doing at Z89. If I look back at the past 20 something years, there's these stages, and this is for everyone's career in life, where I've built teams, I've seen them change, I've seen them go away, and Z89 taught me how to keep moving mm -hmm. and to kind of say, all right, where are we? Let's figure it out. And over the years, I was there. I've been in my current role since 2007, a lot of different staffs, a lot of training, a lot of sports conversations about teams to get different part-timers and become full-timers. Everything I learned at WJPZ I use to this day. I'm currently in the middle of another rebuild over the past couple of years with COVID and everything. It mm. um, really has changed and, and radio has changed um, as well. So I, to this day, use the lessons I learned at, at WJPZ and eternally grateful to that experience, good and bad. It's amazing to see the passion behind People like Alex Silverman and Tex and all those guys that they caught the the bug from all the people that in your class kept building and ate mm -hmm. like a snowball effect. And um, I'm proud of that in some level. I helped start that, um, that at least that time period. You both absolutely did. And the reason I wanted to go a little bit longer than I typically go on a podcast with the two of you is I really wanted the rest of the alumni, young and old, to know um, there have been some moments over the 50 years of this radio station where... We almost didn't make it, and you both certainly saw that moment firsthand and helped shepherd the station through it to continue the link in that chain, to keep it going through my class and the classes after, then build that foundation for us so that we could get the thing going and keep it going now nearly 25 years later after that whole situation happened. And I really want to thank on behalf of all the alumni and even the current students, I get a little choked up saying this, but thank you both for all that you have contributed both as students and as alumni to this great radio station and kept it going for all this time. So thank you both for spending some time together today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I texted Matt. I got the song. Back that Juvenile, ass up. back that ass up. <laughs> I, just, I just Googled it. <laughs> He's right. It was a hit. 
The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.